welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Joan of Arc. <laughs> Ma'am, you wish. Actually, you know what? You, you kind of don't because she is a hot mess. <laughs> she is a hot mess. <laughs> <laughs> and our show is located on the ancestral lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumseh territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sequatchie Ulu. And there's no land acknowledgement today, Joe, because today's episode, well, Today's, yeah, <laughs> because today's episode is about Clone High, which takes mm-hmm. place in the fictional town of Exclamation USA. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Um, I loved this. I loved this so much. I was oh, not good. familiar with the original series. Uh, so we're watching the reboot, ladies and gentlemen, which is not really a reboot. It's literally season two, but it's 20 it years later. And it's great. (laughs) The whole way they deal with it is great because it's an animated series, right? They didn't have to deal with it at all. But the Mm -hmm. way they do is very funny. It's true. Yeah. So I'm curious to see if we're going to be indoctrinating a bunch of people into the world of the show or people are like me and they're very surprised that 20 years later (laughs) they get to return to the show. Joan of Arc, the love of my life. It's 2003. Guys shouldn't be afraid to talk about feelings. Oh, Abe, I always want to be your friend. Do you think we could ever maybe be more than friends? Hey, JFK! How did the clones who have been frozen for 20 years take it when you told them? For anyone who thinks it's 2003, you're wrong. (gasps) Oh, they have pens on strings now. What a world. Frida, how do you stay so chill? I just channel my anxiety into something more productive, like murals for sick children. Confucius, help me take that basic bitch down. Isn't it kind of basic of you to call Cleo basic? I was frozen for 20 years. I just started using that word. Let me enjoy it. JFK, you all right? I'm just letting my eyes pee. The clones, they're just corny science experiments. Hey, Red, there's so much wood. <laughs> wood. I'm gonna nail ya with my nail gun. That's in my pants. No, don't put it in your pants. Let me quickly run down the cast list because I feel like people don't know anything about the show they're going to be surprised to know that people like phil lord and chris miller aka the guys behind like the lego movie and the 21 jump street films and some of the spider-man stuff it's like they're the guys who did this show like this is kind of how they got their career started and then also bill lawrence who i know you're a big fan of brenna because you love scrubs i do and there's so much like scrubs dna in the original run of this show i didn't realize that they were so tight on money that they Mm -hmm. were like doing the script rights on the set of Scrubs where Bill Lawrence was already filming and then recording the voice stuff like in an unused set on Scrubs. Like where I think the same place they do the the Zach Braff voiceovers because there's so much voiceover on that show. Uh, I just think that's hilarious. 
<laughs> so important to note that even though it is 20 years later we're bringing back original cast members will forte as abe as well as nicole sullivan as joan phil lord does the voice of principal scudworth and chris miller does jfk as well as mr b the butler tron and then we have new cast members because we do if folks are familiar with the original show they will know that the show was canceled because of protests over the depiction of gandhi as mm -hmm. a party animal <laughs> mm -hmm. very horny it got them in a lot of trouble so gandhi has been put on ice where he is occasionally referenced throughout the second season but we do introduce a couple of new characters to take his place including ao edberry as harriet we have mitra juhari as cleo vicky martinez as frida kelvin Yu as confucius neil casey as topher bus your favorite character my favorite character and then, uh, of course, the Scrubs connection comes in strong with Krista Miller as Candide, who is the new other principal. And then finally, we have Donald Faison as George Washington Carver. Should we do a bit of a plot summary for folks who didn't see it the first time around? Absolutely, because it's exactly what you think of when you hear the word clone high, and yet it's nothing like what you might expect. Yeah, so basically what happened is like way, way back in the 1980s, <laughs> secret government employees dug up famous guys and ladies and made amusing genetic copies, and now their clones are sexy teens. Now they're going to mm -hmm. make it if they try. <laughs> Sorry, that's the theme song, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know, uh, which has been stuck in my head literally for a week because it's so very, very catchy. Yes, this series is incredibly musical. Yes. So we'll give a shout out to Abandoned Pools, which is uh, the band that does the theme. And then they also come in and do other sporadic songs because it's a highly musical series. Super musical and super fast paced. Like one of the things Ooh. I said to Joe is that it's really fun to watch that. I mean, frankly, very like late 90s, early 2000s style of mm -hmm. humor that I don't see that much of anymore, where like, mm -mm. it's joke upon joke upon joke upon joke. And you know that during the time you're laughing at a joke, you are also missing two more jokes. And mm -hmm. I loved it. Like, it makes you tired. But, <laughs> but I loved does. it. Yeah, it's kind of like the the sugar high that you get when you've eaten too much candy. Yeah. And you're just kind of having the best time, but also you feel like you might crash. So I'm really appreciative that these episodes are a tight 22 minutes because the pacing is frenetic. Mm -hmm. I will admit, even just like marathoning the 10 episodes, obviously we're recording this at the end of the season. So we are going to be talking about all of the episodes that are available on Max. Mm-hmm whatever um <laughs> but yeah it's a lot to take in if you're watching more than about one or two episodes in a go so i am going to give a real premise to okay. the second season now um so folks who are coming to it from having watched the first season you'll already have a sense of the general idea which is yeah uh scientists made a bunch of clones of teenagers uh let's see what happens when we put them all in the high school so the first series ended at the homecoming prom we are now 20 years later, and those original clones get unfrozen by the secret board of shadowy figures mm -hmm. as part of their plan, Operation Spread Eagle, which is <laughs> amazing. <laughs> and the, So much sexual innuendo on this show. Oh, my God. Um, and the, the intention of this group is like, it's not 100% clear, but generally speaking, mm -hmm. they're looking for like the next global leader who they can mold into 
what they need them to be. And so as the series progresses, we see the teens put into sort of more and more stressful situations, ultimately culminating in a season finale where they... teens think they are competing for a seat at clone college Mm -hmm. um which sounds so much like clown college it made me laugh a lot (laughs) but really what they're doing is figuring out which one is going to survive to become this global leader so the series still has all the kind of like teens being hilarious it still has principal scudworth being this you know evil dude (laughs) um but now we have this additional character of candide who is as evil as Scudworth, but unfortunately for the teens, also smart mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and actually could accomplish things. But yes. in the in the foreground, what we really have is lots of sex jokes, lots of hilarious teen interactions. We still have the same vibe where like every episode is sort of a quiet homage to a very special episode of yeah. some teen sitcom from the past. It's tropey. It's delightful. It's super funny. I I know I already said this, Joe, but I really loved it. And the idea that you can make the second season of a show that existed 20 years ago and have it still feel like super fresh and fun, I think is mm-hmm. a huge accomplishment. Yeah. A couple of things that we should note is that they have changed the kind of vocal protagonist. So mm-hmm. in the first season, Abe, Abe Lincoln, the clone, because <laughs> that is one of the things you, you didn't clarify in your plot synopsis. You were like, they made clones of teenagers. Like, oh, no. Brenda, <laughs> they made clones of famous people as teenagers. Yeah, sorry. That's true. That's an important <laughs> distinction. Yeah. So yes, Abe Lincoln, teenager, was the he was the main protagonist in the first season, and they kind of switched it. So now it's Joan of Arc who is going to be the lead, and they hook her up with JFK and Cleo, and she are less combative in part because Cleo doesn't really understand this new world. Like it was very much the Cleo versus Joan story in the first season and this time around they've kind of acknowledged it's tired to have women just pitted against each other so they're more interested in actually having the girls be female friends just go around i really love the general sort of cultural commentary that's happening where like these teens from the early 2000s like they don't even understand the concept of female friendship because they've Mm -hmm. never been exposed to it in their media (laughs) (laughs) and like everybody trying to like not be problematic in the year 2023 and all these clones from 2002 are like what what's problematic we don't understand what's going on Mm -hmm. and like one of the things that is sort of done in the show is abe gets sidelined but he doesn't really realize he's not still the protagonist Mm -hmm. like he totally behaves like the protagonist all the time including this one great musical number about white guy confidence yep (laughs) (laughs) But meanwhile, the show is like spiraling around him and he is not actually involved in many of the main plot lines. It's it's quite clever and quite funny. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, that is also a nice segue to talk about your fave character, Topher Buss. Who is this a clone of, Brenna? (laughs) Christopher Columbus. But he knows that (laughs) nobody likes Christopher Columbus anymore. So he's renamed himself Topher Buss. And he pretends to be like super on point and like woke and aware Mm -hmm. but really he's secretly a total troll a Mm -hmm. misogynist racist jerk who like is always doing (laughs) horrible things and then like pretending that he's actually super woke it's hilarious yeah one of the other things that i really enjoyed about this new season is that because we are on max and not teletoon like the first season was 
we can lean into the language. And, you know, I joked that there's a lot of sexual innuendo. We've actually shifted even away from innuendo (laughs) to just full on discussions about sex. So like in the first season, you would see a lot of the tongue kissing, which I love the animation style. We'll talk about that in a moment. But, you know, you just see the tongues kind of like waving around each other (laughs) like snakes. (laughs) It's so gross and so funny. (laughs) It's very gross and funny. Yeah. But that was often about as far as it went. Like it was a lot of innuendo because we couldn't get away with it because the show was airing on a network that was designed principally for kids. Whereas Max is very much like, oh, we're the home of the Gossip Girl remake and Generation and other very progressive, very kind of adult oriented teen shows. So it's really weird to hear JFK full on dropping like the F word in terms of sexual F word about him and Joan of Arc and you're just like oh this is uh this is not my father's clone high (laughs) or in this case me (laughs) and that's something for our Canadian listeners to know so this show had a really hard time finding an audience when it first went to air in the 2000s and it aired uh on Teletoon long before it premiered on MTV yeah so I just just something to note for the Canadians in the audience Okay, so Brenna, I'm interested to hear, did you have, well, you mentioned Tover Bus is your favorite character. Did you have a a favorite character that is not problematic and horrible? (laughs) I just love how problematic and horrible he is. Um, (laughs) I really like Joan of Arc. I think she's fun in her messiness, but I have to say that Frida Kahlo really wins the day for me. Um, She's got this amazingly chill personality in the face of Mm -hmm. all of the ludicrousness that's happening around her all the time including like the stress monster that's actually eating people (sighs) or anxiety monster yes i think that may have been my favorite episode of the season so it's episode three anxious times at clone high and basically candide is trying to up the stress levels to see who cracks and who performs Mm -hmm. the longest so This is interesting because to me, what's funny about the episode is that we're basically doing a play on the Australian elevated horror film, The Babadook, which is what this creature is, hence (laughs) the reason he's wearing a top hat. Oh, but yeah, this this thing like basically just scuttles around the high school grabbing teenagers. The more stressed they become, the more he's hungry for them. So it, it's doing a lot of horror movie conventions. But yeah, uh, Frida is obviously the one who is the most chill. And therefore, she's always perfectly zen and never at risk. I love her so much. And it will surprise you not at all that my favorite episode is the musical episode. Mm-hmm. Some talking, but mostly songs. <laughs> And it's such a perfect throwback to those early 2000s. Like, Scrubs had a musical episode. Mm-hmm. Buffy obviously had a very famous musical episode. This was the era of that Dr. Horrible web series. Like, mm-hmm. everybody was doing a musical. Uh, so it was delightful to see that trope return. And it's as funny as you expect. That's the episode that has the song about uh, Abe's white guy confidence, where he keeps mm-hmm. he keeps, like busting into the middle of the song to sing off key and it's just, it's just so good your name is maybe josh cody stewart title chat you think you're an expert in something because you heard it on a podcast you never say you're sorry never admit that you're wrong you can't carry a tune yeah you insist on singing the song nailed it 
<laughs> but what's great is that the the there's like this other layer to the joke because everybody wants Abe's white guy confidence, but they also don't want to have to practice or rehearse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just really i don't know the show obviously loves its characters so much so it can put them in absolutely ridiculous situations and you believe it because they all have really defined characters you know we only have what 10 episodes 20 minutes a piece we don't get to spend a lot of time with these characters so if you've Mm-mm. come to it like i have fresh without having seen the original series you don't have a lot of time to get th- to know these characters and yet you really, really know these characters by the end of the series. And you have a lot of confidence in the positions that the writers put them in. And I think I think that is part of what makes it so enjoyable because it is, I mean, it's broad slapstick. The oh animation is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It's over the top 100% of the time. And it's going at like 100 miles an hour constantly. And yet you believe all of it and you stick with all of it. And I think that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have such a good handle on who these characters are. So anytime that they're putting them into ever more increasingly ridiculous situations, because they implicitly know how the characters would react, it's actually always telling us more about who they are, how they approach life and so on. Like, you mentioned there's a bit of mockery about very special episodes. And that's one of the reasons I think the show works so well is because If every episode is a very special episode, (laughs) then it means the show can lean into the stupidity of, oh, we're learning an important lesson about friendship or love or responsibility. But the situations themselves are so dumb and beyond the pale. Like there's an episode called Spring Broken where... The group gets stranded on a trip and we discover that JFK, who has like the quintessential JFK head, it's very big. (laughs) Um, If he gets exposed to sunlight, his brain will actually grow because it has room to expand. So all of a sudden he becomes incredibly erudite. And British. (laughs) Yes, and British. Um, it, It may not surprise most people. I have two favorite characters one is mr b the robot butler because he speaks very silly like a robot and then jfk who speaks like jfk (laughs) but the show also understands how best to use jfk like in the opening episode of season two we acknowledge that jfk is actually no longer problematic because he is sexually progressive so we've embraced the (laughs) fact that he is interested in having lots of sex he's not uh, sex shaming he's sex positive i really (laughs) i just now remember so dumb it's so dumb and it's so great (laughs) and it's funny right because abe is so excited when he realizes like everybody is quote-unquote pc now and he's like, that's great. Nobody's going to like JFK because everyone's PC now. And nope, actually, everybody likes how sex positive he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the same episode where Abe ends up getting in trouble because, of course, he thinks he's a really nice, good guy. And a lot of the things that he says is actually more problematic yes. 20 years later than he realizes. So we end up at a bunch of different inclusion fairs that are <laughs> exclusionary <laughs> because they're so specific and or they don't acknowledge that anyone else may have a difference of opinion. <laughs> My favorite is the there's the fair for people who are allergic to bees. And then right next door to it is the fair for people who love bees. And of course, the bees end up going into <laughs> the one of people who are allergic. <laughs> this is very funny. Um, there's a lesson here in this season of the show in that... Is it a very special lesson? 
It's a very special lesson. But, you know, <laughs> the satire is still extremely pointed. It's very yes. sharp. It's Ooh. lambasting everybody on the order of, like, early South Park, right? Right. But what's fascinating to me is that the creators actually learned a lot from the experience of what happened in 2003. So mm-hmm. in 2003, it was actually that Clone High kind of got caught in the crossfire. It was actually Maxim that started the controversy. Hmm. They made a depiction of Mahatma Gandhi being beaten up by a muscular man. And it was the idea of like, the new man is muscular, move out of the way, feminine boys, I guess. I don't know. I'm not going to pretend I read Maximum 2003 or ever. But that caused a huge amount of outrage. And so when people in India were like looking it up on the early internet, like trying to figure out where Mm -hmm. this thing from Maxim came from, they found out about Gandhi on MTV's website. And so that's how the whole thing started. Like it was never aired in... India. It was all sort of spurred Hmm. by the outrage about this particular Maxim article. But the outrage was significant, right? Like 150 protesters, including members of India's parliament, had a hunger strike in protest of this show. Like, it was a big deal. And Viacom, who owned MTV, maybe at the time, maybe now, I don't know, but at the time for sure. They were trying to expand into India because it's a massive population, right? Oh, massive huge, growing population. Huge possibilities, yeah. And so they were like, absolutely not. We're not taking this risk, no. And so I think that, you know, this could have been the birth of a couple of real alt-right creators, right? Because mm-hmm. that's what we always hear, right? When the liberals are mean to me, I have to become a racist. And in many right. ways, I mean, the original depiction of Gandhi was like, no great shakes. But compared to other stuff that was on air, the air at the time, you know, like there were equally controversial things. They really did get caught in this larger crossfire that they weren't even really a part of. Mm-hmm. They could have turned into total dick bags about it. Mm-hmm. But instead, we end up with this second season 20 years later, just as sharp, just as witty, just as clever. But now they've adjusted the cast so that it's not just white people playing all these mm-hmm. characters, right? So they changed the voice actress of Cleopatra, so it's not voiced by a white woman anymore. They add, you know, we have an indigenous actress, Jana Schmidling, as Sacagawea. We have, you know, Kelvin Yu is playing Confucius, Vicky Martinez as Frida Kahlo. Like, they actually thought they did the work about yes about depiction and, and about what it meant to put characters in ridiculous situations and have them voiced as caricatures of their race instead of people from that background and like mm-hmm. i just think this is such a great story because too often the media is like oh we have to stop canceling people because it makes them more reactionary like no, you can actually make mistakes and learn from them. And that is, to me, what the story of this second season. And that's why I think everybody should watch it. <laughs> I love that rant. Thank you. It, it is very amusing to me that this is a literal example of cancel culture from yeah. back in 2003. Like, we we talk about it in the same disparaging tone that we use, or rather that conservatives use for things like woke and progressive now, where it's like, oh, cancel culture, or ooh, you got canceled. You got to be careful. If you're a white creator, can't be offensive can't make comedy anymore brenna Mm -hmm. but here's you're right here is a literal example of two white guys who had their show quite literally canceled come back two decades later and you're right comedy is just a sharp situations are still just as good but they did learn their lesson they've done the work and the show comes back it still feels like the exact same show the thing that has changed has been the language and the sex But like everything else feels the same about the original show. It's just that we're doing better. Yes. Yes. 
I'm really quite impressed by the lesson here. Like, I think it's actually, <laughs> the more I watched it, the more I was like, people need to see this and understand that this is a possible approach. Like, you can actually grow and you can create mm-hmm. media in the meantime. Like, yeah, you, as you said, they made the Lego movie. They made Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Like, they, mm-hmm. they've done a lot in the meantime. It's not like they just got canceled, went and started, like, a blog started writing for the rebel or whatever, you know what I mean? (laughs) Which seems to be what people do now, right? Like they take the bat and ball, they go and write an op-ed for the New York times about how hard done by they are. Um, and they don't try to learn from the experience. People can learn. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can come back and still make really, really good art. Yes, you can. This is excellent art. It's excellent, (laughs) dirty art. Absolutely filthy. Yes. <laughs> I did wonder if maybe we can close out before our YA bingo. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the animation style because you mm. mentioned South Park and I think yeah. it's similar in tone to both satire as well as the kind of bite of its jokes. Mm-hmm. But to me, this also looks very reminiscent of what South Park looked like back in the day when it was kind of paper cutout animation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something very I'm just going to say there's something slightly angular. No, there's it's angular. <laughs> so angular. <laughs> Nothing is round on, the, on this show. Everything Except is really JFK's angular. butt. <laughs> yes, that's true. It's very angular. It's very choppy. There's not an effort to make motion look like realistic. It knows mm-hmm. that it's a cartoon. It's not an animation style that I always gravitate towards. I think we've right. talked before about how in some superhero series, I've had a hard time with the sort of choppier animation style. Um, but here it really works because it highlights how extreme the situations mm-hmm. are. It highlights the slapstick nature of comedy. You know, these are characters who are going to get like... They get brutally murdered yeah. quite often or <laughs> yeah, very severely injured. Yeah, there's lots of blood, there's lots of guts, and then people come back. Um, there's lots of, you know, getting squished, there's lots of falling off buildings. Uh, so I think that in this series, against the sharpness of the humor, it really, really works. Because it looks like there's a kind of a juvenile look to it, that mm-hmm. then the really mature humor on top of it, I don't mean mature as in like mature, I mean mature as in like for adults humor on mm-hmm. top of it. Yes. It's a really nice juxtaposition. Yeah, I agree. You're not going to confuse any of these characters for human beings, even though a lot of the life lessons that we're learning are very much intended for a kind of YA coming of age audience. Absolutely. So you're you're right. Juxtaposition to me is the absolute best word for this because it feels like the animation style is almost at odds with the kind of jokes that we're telling. But then there's the life lessons in another section. And yet it all somehow works to form this harmonious whole that is so deeply funny. (laughs) I was thinking, I know we're transitioning to YA Bingo, Joe, but I have one question for you before we do. Mm -hmm. This really was solidified as a cult classic. Right. After its cancellation, which is kind of amazing because it lived on in reruns in Canada, but I don't think it did in the US or if it did, it it was after a gap. Like there was quite right. a lot of uh, controversy. Yeah, it disappeared from the public consciousness. Like I saw this because a friend at college showed it to me in the original run and then I sought it out on DVD. This was actually one of the like not first DVDs that I bought, but like when I had my own spending money in university, I saw a copy of this. It was extravagantly priced considering there were 10 episodes. Yeah. So I think I paid like 40 bucks and I was like, I have to own this. It's the funniest thing. Well, it was put out by a really small company. Yes. And it was, you know, it was from that era of DVDs when like, I think it was actually technically only released in Canada. Ooh, it's Okay. 
and it included five episodes you couldn't see in the States. But like, here's my question about the longevity of the show. Mm -hmm. It's a very early example of a show you could easily binge watch once you got Mm. your hands on the DVD, right? And you could watch it again and again and again. And I wonder what you think of like the box set era as like part of what allowed a show like this to survive in a way where now when something has been streaming and it disappears, Mm. you just never see it again. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of an ironic question considering who has rescued it and who has greenlit Mm. not just this season, but a third season, which is in the works. Yeah, this is Max, the site and streaming service that basically started this new revolution where we just take shows off that we don't want to pay residuals for, Mm -hmm. which is why we're currently undergoing a writer's strike Mm -hmm. (laughs) because they don't want to pay writers. Yeah, so it is kind of weird to me that the home of this show is also the home that has basically started the new status quo, where if something doesn't work, we just remove it. And because it's streaming only, the likelihood that you will ever find some of these shows again is zilch. Yeah. So it's weird to me that the show was potentially saved thanks to something like and understanding that there is a niche audience who will pay big money for a physical release of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens when they inevitably offend someone else and go off the air. No, I'm just kidding. I think they learned. <laughs> I think they learned. <laughs> Want to do YA bingo? Yes. Okay. Bingo! Not a good bingo. Oh my God, Joe, we have so many. <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like we might do very well. <laughs> so we have coincidental classes. Mm-hmm. I didn't look any further than this, but we definitely have a female screenwriter director on episode one. It's a okay. co, so yay. Yay. Um, I think that some of JFK and Jones dates qualify as perfect dates. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> they're awfully cute together. <laughs> um, we have a lot of dead bodies. Oh boy. And I think Joan has dead family because she's in a she's in a foster family, right? Right. Um, we have obvious stunt casting. My personal favorite is Ian Ziering as himself. Not Mandy Moore, who's not Mandy Moore, but she does live in a garbage bin. That that one's pretty funny, and she takes offense at the walk to remember joke, but she's not Mandy Moore. Hmm. <laughs> I liked that one. Um, you go ahead. I'm going to keep thinking. Okay, so obviously we're hitting nearly every special event that you could think of. So I'm going to give it holiday prom or wedding. We do go on a road trip for that spring break episode. The clones are nothing if not abused all the time by (laughs) Candide as well as Principal Scudworth. And Principal Scudworth is also abused by Candide. (laughs) This is true. Uh, One of my favorite visual jokes is when Candide comes in and puts a glass ceiling on top of his (laughs) office so that she can lord over him. (laughs) I love it so much. Uh, I'm going to say forever young because these clones have survived 20 years and they're still teenagers. Well, they were frozen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We got to give it to musicality and montage. There's tons of both. Mm -hmm. We obviously have uh, some magic supernatural stuff going on here frequently, Mm -hmm. even if they are explained by sort of sketchy science sometimes. Right. (laughs) Um, I do think we have good friendships that emerge. I think the friendship Mm -hmm. between Abe and Joan is is honest, even if it's also tinged with romance. And I think, too, that actually the friendship that JFK and Joan develop through everything is also actually pretty sweet. 
Yeah, even in the last episode when JFK and Abe realize that they have something in common and they decide to become best friends forever. Yes, it's so cute. Um, I wanted to ask you if you want to give it to the Canada Square. It mm. wasn't filmed in Canada, but it would never have existed if Teletoon hadn't paid them a trivial amount of money to make it in the right. first place. Uh, you know what? Let's allow it. Okay. Sure. I'm also going to say inclusion flip because, of course, we are mm. including characters of color voiced by actors of color. And Frida and Cleo do become our queer secondary couple oh, yeah. on the show. Great point. Uh, the final one is, do we think that there is a chosen one or are they all kind of chosen ones since they are famous historical figures? Well, I think they're all kind of chosen one, but I think we could make an argument for borrowed time with the final episode. Sure. Yeah. Okay, so that is good enough to give us two full, nope, three full yes! lines. Yay, Clodagh! Possibly our You're most successful YA bingo of all time. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> uh, I do also want to give a shout out that in the sex ed episode, which I found quite amusing, I really... <laughs> It, it's probably the gay person in me, but the semen song yeah. <laughs> nearly the semen broke me. in general are hilarious. You better not be learning about sex from TV. <laughs> What's unfortunate is that uh, their statistics about teaching queer sexuality in U.S. high schools is already outdated uh, because of the current political climate we live in. It's even worse now, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, oh, it is. God. <sighs> All right. Well, on that cheery note, Joe, thanks so much. <laughs> mm, yes. Here's the thing. Uh, when I programmed this, I thought that you had seen the first run. So I thought this was just going to be a fun kind of reunion. But I'm delighted to be the one who got to introduce you to Clone High, Brenna. I'm delighted you were too. I'm really glad. And you know what? I think it was the animation style that turned me off originally. I totally mm -hmm. remember like sitting on my bed, flipping through the channels and like seeing it on television and being like, Nech. so yeah. I'm very glad that I had this reason to watch it. <laughs> Yay! So, uh, Joe, I am mm -hmm. trepidatious about our next episode, I have to tell you. Okay. <laughs> so we're taking a look at The Summer I Turned Pretty, book one, mm -hmm. and season one of the TV show. And when Jenny was on the show and we were discussing Exo Kitty, she was like, mm -hmm. not like super enthusiastic about either this book or the adaptation. So no. I'm a little bit like, mm, mm. <laughs> Yeah, she mentioned at the time that Jenny Han, the author of To All the Boys I've Loved Before, she was the showrunner on Exo Kitty, but she cut her teeth for the first time show running this, The Summer I Turned Pretty. Yeah. And yeah, Jenny did not sound super enthusiastic. No, but we are nothing if not apparently Jenny Han completionists. Somehow mm -hmm. that happened. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we have to dig in. So that's where we are heading next week. And I will say there is still time to get in your responses to book club. We took a little bit of extra time between books this time because it's a long one and because we think this one's important and we want you to read it. So if you've been checking out Stolen alongside us, you've got a couple more days to get your feedback in. So make sure you do that. Mm -hmm. Now, for whatever reason you want to get a hold of us, you can find us on the Twitters at HKHSPod or on the hashtag HKHSPod. Joe, where do they find you? I can be reached at B Stole My Remote and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray, and that's great with an A. And uh, if you want to send us something long form, we love it when you show up in our mailbag, hkhspod at gmail.com. 
<laughs> the way you said it almost sounded like the way the JFK talks. So now I kind of <laughs> want you to try it. <laughs> I'll do our entire next episode as JFK. <laughs> Liar. <laughs> if you uh, want to get a hold of us, you should send us an email. That was shockingly good. I feel like you secretly <laughs> practice that when no one's around. <laughs> well, I will say, okay, we're we're literally about to close out, but I have to tell you my favorite JFK joke from season one, which you will have not experienced, is at one point he bemoans to Joan that he is a Kennedy. He's not accustomed to tragedy. <laughs> I can't breathe. Why is this show so good? <laughs> oh. <sighs> I'll see you on the page, Joe. (laughs) And I will see you on the screen. Yeah, at the time I didn't clock it, but she actually mentioned that Jenny Han, aka the writer of the series, as well as this new series. Now, however you want to get a hold of us, or mm, 